elementary students in this church, so we need to make sure we increase our giving. Um, so we're just so grateful to be in it with you all, um, and uh, we appreciate that. Um, if you want to s stay up to date, if you want to hear a reminder about the service time next week and about women at the table in two Wednesdays, just go ahead and send a text to 33222, text the word table to that number, and uh, I promise I'll only text you when we have stuff going on. I'm not going to spam you. And uh, that's the way to get reminders about what's going on here at the table. So we are so appreciative that you're here. Thanks for your generosity. And I'm going to turn it over to Matt. Yay, Maggie. Yay, Maggie, indeed. Maggie, thank you so much, not just for those announcements, but for those texts. You're right, you do not spam us. You give us only what matters most. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. Thrilled that you are here. Sam Manning, thanks for showing up. We've been waiting. Good to have you. Um, I want to start with this. I want to show you this photo. My fam came to the Wolves game with me the other night, and um, it was kind of a, well, it was, it was fun. They left after the second quarter, but it was an enjoyable experience all the same. The reason I'm showing you this photo, though, is not because of how aesthetically pleasing my kids' faces are, though they are aesthetically pleasing. I'm pointing out the guy behind them. Actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, maybe I shouldn't get specific about which person I'm about to tell you about, because you might be related to him. You might, that might be dad. I don't know. The guy behind my wife's head, he looks like a, a normal fellow, and by all accounts, perhaps he is. He might be that kind of guy that reads Wall Street Journal in the morning, decaf coffee at night. I don't know much about him. He might be a real leader in the streets, but I'm telling you, he is a freak when he gets to these seats. And I know this, not just from this game in particular, but from games in the past. Uh, two years ago, when we were all coming to the games, this man was at every one of the games, and you knew he was there because he was the loudest in the arena every time. He was passionate. He was constantly angry. Uh, even when there wasn't grounds to be angry, he was shouting. Like, we don't necessarily know why. In fact, two years ago, uh, it might have been the highlight of my year because he had, it was like watching a crescendo, like the noise was getting louder and louder. Every quarter, he was getting a his words were getting sharper, his volume was going up a little higher. And he had this moment where after three straight quarters of just top of his lungs chewing out the refs on the floor, he stands up after an ambiguous non-call, like nobody else seemed to have a problem with the whistle not being blown. And he goes, what the F is wrong with you? Blow the whistle. And everyone is like, whoa, <laughs> we just crossed the line. Like it was dead quiet in that room. Except for this guy, one section over, who then stands up and shouts, why do you never listen to us? <laughs> Have you ever been in a stretch, a season of your life where you feel like you were stuck, like you are perpetually living on a treadmill, where you are working real hard, but you're not really going anywhere, and you turn to God and you're kind of well past the point of pleasantries and you just start screaming, why aren't you listening to us? Have you ever been in that place where it feels like the frustrations have no end? Like, um, like things just won't change. Like the gig is never going to get better. The partnership is never going to get easier. The depression and the anxiety is never going to let you just, just be. Like have you been in that spot? And if so, like what do you call that spot? Because for me, I call it winter. That, that's... <laughs> Honestly, that's what winter is for me. I don't like winter. I don't like being cold. I don't like winter. I don't like people that like winter. I just don't like winter in general. And so if there ever was a uh, sermon series that we're doing for the next three weeks that was derived just from my own personal pain, this one is it. It is a time where we need to learn 
Matt Moberg, how to bundle up. We're going to talk about what does it look like to actually pursue flourishing in the midst of this season, which can be so frustrating. How do we actually not just survive it, but pardon the cliche, how do we actually try to thrive it? How do we get better as it gets harder and harder? Um, that's what we want to look at. And so we're going to pull out the scarves, we're going to pull out the vitamin D, and we're going to talk about for the next two weeks, how do we actually do this? What are practical ways that we can go about this? And I think tonight what I want to start with is just the idea that we have to go about it. Like, we're going to offer up some practical one-two steps on what it looks like to set the conditions for success in this season, but it's going to require collective and individual desire to be proactive and actually move forward in this on our own. We need to enter into this struggle and not just be engulfed by how awful and cold it is. We need to go into the struggle, which not everybody wants to do, like when it comes to struggles in general. Um, I'll tell you this, and I wasn't necessarily going to, but uh, <laughs> I got into a little, a little fight. Nah, fights feel strong. I toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of our Wolves players, a chaplain for the team, uh, at our last chapel. And it was on this basis. We were talking about, I was talking about how actually struggle, God provides us strength through these seasons where there is struggle. You go to the weight room to fail, but you're getting stronger in the failure. That's how it works. And you go, nah, that's not, no, no thank you. Why would I opt into what I'm trying to get out of? Why would I actually want, why would I want to enter into struggle when I'm doing everything I can to sidestep struggle? Which is just such a funny thing to say because that's not how good stories are made. I mean, when you consider the films that you like to watch, my kids and I, we watched Finch last night, which is a beautiful movie. Have you seen Finch yet? No. I'll say that again in a couple of weeks and it'll resonate. Tom Hanks, never mind. Every story that we watched, every movie, every great movie, nobody's sitting down and getting cozy on the couch to watch a movie about a guy that had a great day, right? About a guy that rolled out and the kids were not fighting before school and the coffee was on point and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Nobody wants that. We want to watch stories that have uh, tales of people overcoming addiction. Um, breaking through like monsters to get to some end result, overcoming adversity and challenges. And I just bring that up because it's so interesting that so often the very things that we say are key ingredients to good stories are the very things we try to keep out of our stories. And to make it even more like concerning, if you will, is the fact that you can't keep it out. We will try. We will spend all kinds of money and energy and time trying to avoid every kind of struggle and setback and hardship and winter that comes our way. But it can't be outrun. You can't sidestep struggle. And Jesus says this. I actually think this is one of the reasons why we call Jesus the good physician. Because, you know, good physicians, good doctors, they don't just tell us what we want to hear, right? I mean, nobody is finding out that they've had a tumor in their body for months and the doctor didn't want to tell us because he thought he might bum us out and saying that that's a good doctor. Good doctors don't tell us what we want to hear. Good doctors tell us what we need to hear. In one of Jesus' final moments with the fellows, he has this painful way of saying that my time has come. He can sense that the political heat around him has risen up, that his hourglass is, is all but drained out. Uh, he can feel the walls starting to close in all around him. And so he says, guys, I'm not going to lie to you. 
I'm not going to give you some like storybook ending that you want to hear. I'm going to be a good doctor and tell you what you need to hear. This is it. This is the end. And what you see in me, you're going to soon experience in you. Jesus says this in John 16, Jesus says, I've told you all these things about my ending so that in me you may have peace. But make no mistake about it. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have those stretches where you feel too far stretched. In this world, you will have those times where winter feels like it's leaking into May and then June. In this world, you will have those days that you don't want to get out of bed. In this world, you will have trouble. That is the diagnosis. That is the prognosis. That is why Jesus is a good doctor. But a good doctor doesn't just prognosticate. A good doctor also prescribes. And so Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome this world. Yes, there are troubles. Yes, there are hardships. There are corners that are sharper than I wish that they were, and you will run into them from time to time, but take heart, because I have overcome this world. Jesus says that I am telling you about my personal darkness. I am telling you about the coming darkness, so that you will consistently be the kind of people who remember your source of light. When all of the problems pile up around you in your own personal life, in your own stories, when the, when the problems are too high and too close and too loud, and two, like, on the attack. Where do you go to for peace? This is not rhetorical. I mean, don't actually answer me. We don't have time for that kind of conversation. It's all about me right now. But, but actually do some consideration for yourself. Like, when you are going through something, you might be going through something right now. Where do you find your peace? Who provides you with peace? What's another word for peace? Stability, uh, sense of clarity. Uh, the ability to keep your purpose intact, your hope alive, your posture towards the future, not one of despair, but actual delight and anticipation and expectation of good things because you serve a good God. Do you find your peace from the moment that you are in or the maker that's in you? Where do you go to for peace? Jesus says that Jesus offers peace. But I think we've all lived long enough to know that it's on us whether or not we want to use it. I mean, it's one thing for God to put his peace on us. It's another thing for God's peace to actually be in us. It's one thing to know that you are favored. It's another thing to actually walk as if you are favored. To know that you are approved and to live not needing anybody else's approval. It takes proactivity. It takes a desire to actually get into the work. And I thought about this this week when I read this poem from one of the Psalters in Psalm 119. And I really enjoyed this poem because it says this. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. For me, when I read that this week, it just jumped out to me like that's it. Those first two words, I incline. Not a you incline, I incline. If I want a tweak in my life to be made, I can't wait for the tweak to be made. I have to go in there and do the work. If I want things to start working, I have to get to work. I have to take control of this thing. I have to do the inclining of my heart. And I love those words because if I have to incline my heart, then that tells me that my heart is by default on the decline. 
I mean, you don't have to like incline anything into that's already in an upright position, right? It, it, you only incline that which is declined. And in winters, in particular, it feels like it's fully in the recline, where I'm not rooted in anything that's good. I'm just reacting to everything that's bad. And so the mood that I wake up in is the going to dictate the moves that I make throughout the day. The how I feel is going to decide how I act. What some stranger on the internet says about me is what I'm going to believe about me. That's if my heart is on the default, decline, full-blown recline. But the psalmist says that I need to incline my heart, that I actually have a say in my heart. I think this is why Jesus says that you need to take your heart. That's on you. You need to take heart because if you don't, there are 10,000 other voices around you that will volunteer to do the job. Take heart. Those two words come from the one Greek word, tharseo, and tharseo is a fascinating word because it's tied also to the word uh, thero, which is the word from which we get things like um, thermometers and thermostats and uh, just, what do you call it, like language of temperature? I should go back to school. That's what this is revealing right now. This makes me think of my kids, though, and I was telling my wife this, showed her this photo that I have on my computer. My boys are four-season bath takers. Um, when they want to get clean, they don't like showers. They want to see what they're actually accomplishing, and so they go inside of a bath. They, they don't have a lot of complaints. They tend to be pretty playful and jovial when they're in there, but um, one of the most consistent complaints that does get registered with the Office of Parents is the water was hot, why is the water cold? <laughs> what have you done to our bath, Dad? You said you loved us, and yet here we are in hypothermic weather, water. My kids, ages, uh, they're young. <sighs> I forgot my wife. They're youngish. The kids, you know, you know, you know what they are. They don't understand the process of entropy, and so they don't understand that the water's not actually getting cold. The water was hot, and now it's lowering itself to the temperature of the room that it's in. It's not actually cold water. The water is now 70 degrees. They don't understand that how the water is is connected to where the water is, and, and that's not just a kid issue. I think a lot of us fail to grasp that connection. I think a lot of us wonder why we are the way we are because we're kind of just reacting to what's around us. A lot of us are moving through where we're just in these reactive postures, taking on whatever the temp of the room is that we are in and letting that be our normal. Because life, we've said this 10,000 times, but it is so often just assumed and so rarely actually assessed. We don't ask the harder questions about the things that are happening on the subterranean level, the things that are making us the way that we are. Asking like, is the water in me, the state of being in me, is that actually rooted in something that is beyond me, beyond this room, or am I just living in reaction to every sharp corner that I bump into? Am I just living into whatever I'm feeling in this moment? Because if that's how it's going to be, if, if, if I'm just going to be the thermometer that can tell you what the temp is of the room, then the commitments I made 10 years ago, they kind of hinge upon whether or not I want to keep them today. The things you heard in church last week, 
Whether or not you believe in them, invest your life in them, well, it kind of hinges upon, like, well, how are the kids this morning? What's on the news tonight? These thermometer-type worlds, that's kind of like the world that we live in. We live in a world that is constantly on the reactive, constantly um, being pushed and pulled and, and twisted and turned. There is the core word, part of the word tharseo that can bring you back to thermometers, but there also is the tie into a thermostat. And a thermostat is not something that just settles for the temp that is in the room. A thermostat sets the temp. A thermostat decides that I'm going to adjust the dials if I'm going to actually thrive and not just merely survive. When Jesus is saying to take heart, Jesus is saying that in a thermometer-driven world, be a thermostat and set. Don't settle for what you've been called to set. Be rooted in something bigger than what is going on around you. And so I guess the question I want us to consider tonight as we take on these next few weeks when we're trying to figure out how do we take on this season that nobody really wants to go into. How do we do it in a way that is rooted? That even when it hits 30 below, it's not going to dictate how we are within. Because we are people who have taken heart. And so our hearts can't be taken. We can't be swayed because we got our feet rooted in something good. We are adjusting the dials. Jesus says to Tharseo, take heart. Jesus knows that it's imperative that in these seasons, like the ones that we are in, the ones we are going through, if we don't take control of our own hearts and set the conditions for what gets in and what we are going to keep out, then so many other people around us will vie for that position instead. And so how do we do it? Well, I actually kind of think that Jesus tells us inside of this text. Jesus gives us this idea. He says, when you take heart, in order for you to effectively do so, you need to choose to frame what you are going through against and through the lens of who you are going through it with. Implicit in these words of Christ is this idea that it is very hard to be overwhelmed by life when you are fixated on the one who has overcome when you see that the Christ who went through Calvary is the Christ who is going with you. And so no matter what is coming at you, you don't go at that thing alone. That changes everything. Let's talk practical. Let's put skin on this. So this is for me what a zoom out looks like. Like the moment where I'm in the therapist's office and I'm hyperventilating, I'm going like, I am not going to be able to do it. I can't do it. I'm losing my mind. I can't do it. I cannot do another week, whatever the thing might be. She says, let's just pause for a second. Remember last week when you were talking about something else that you could not do and we're on the other side of it now? Well, let's go out even a little bit further. Are the stakes really as high as you think that they are right now based only on how you feel? Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat instead? Are you settling for the temp that's in the room that you are in or are you setting the temp? One of my favorite texts that I think is, um, I know I bring it up often, but it just kind of illustrates so beautifully what it looks like to actually zoom out and to give our hearts this wider angle. We're not just seeing um, our problems, but we're also seeing the presence of our provider. It's this moment where, where Jesus is, or where the writer of Hebrews is kind of laying out what Jesus went through. And you'll recognize that it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Pause. He endured the cross, physical pain. 
And he endured the shame, emotional pain, psychological pain. All kinds of pain are coming at Jesus. Make, make it very clear. Faith is not the eliminating of pain. It is not the belittling of pain. It is not saying that it's not that hard. Shake it off. Keep a stiff upper lip. That's not what faith is whatsoever. Faith is not the denial of trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. It is the shifting of our attention. It is when everything is, is around you, feels like it's call, uh, caving in, faith is that thing that insists it's time to zoom out. And so the writer says that Jesus is able to go to Calvary because Calvary isn't the only thing that Jesus sees. Jesus is able to see beyond what he can see right there. Jesus sees the trouble, sees the pain, sees the physical agony that's coming his way, hears the emotional lashes that are happening on his spirit, but that's not all that Jesus sees. And so Jesus in that moment has the choice when he gets to that cross, when he hears the hisses of the crowd, I can be a thermometer and my state of being, being internally can be dictated by the state of affairs externally, or I can be a thermostat and say, this is hard, this is awful, wouldn't wish it upon the worst of people, but I see beyond what I'm seeing now and so I can keep on stepping where I've been called to go. That's powerful right there. And so consistent is Jesus on this matter that at the end, when he's on the cross, when he's got all kinds of hate coming up on him, and he's got people that are lashing at him and spitting at him and cursing him out, when the, when the temperature in the room is at an all-time fever pitch high, Jesus has the choice, do I respond to hate with hate? And instead he insists, God forgive them. They have no idea what they are doing. Who I am is not going to be dictated by where I am. What I do is not going to be dictated by how I feel. Emotions, our inner lives, they, are, they provide us with this great set of data, but not a great set of directives. And so we listen, we don't dismiss, but we recognize that we are rooted in something bigger than the moment we are in, and we can keep on going forward because what we see in front of us is not all that we see in front of us. And so being rooted in the good things, let me close with this. Um, my family and I, we entered into the process of adoption kind of yesterday afternoon. And after tonight, we're going to do something I never thought we would do. Thank you, Killer. Don't really like animals. Um, don't know how this happened, but we're going to go meet a dog named Sabrina and just see if it's the right fit. Can't imagine it will be, but we're going to go try it out. Having these talks with our kids before we go meet this dog tonight, I told our boys this afternoon, I said, I, I want you, let's just be clear. Full clarity on our terms of engagement if we were to proceed with this thing. Everybody wants a puppy. Nobody wants a dog. Everybody wants the, a dog that you can put like a Santa hat on and dress up for the Christmas card. Nobody wants to be that guy that's walking the streets of Minneapolis in the middle of winter with a plastic bag on your hand waiting to pick up poop. This is not what you want. And so let's decide right now. If we are going to walk forward in this thing, are we going to want the puppy and the dog or just the puppy? Because if it gets to the dog time, I know, Lauren and I, we're not going out there. <laughs> if it's just us and you guys are all abandoning ship, then forget it. But if you want the puppy and you'll put up with the poop, then we can make some things happen. And so pray for us because we might let a dog into our lives. These next few weeks, we are going to be talking about this further. Not the poop and not the puppy, but just the idea of how do we actually implement, what did you say? Oh, yeah, you'll for sure hear about it. Make no mistake about that. 
Um, but we, uh, we do want to talk about, we want to get pragmatic. So many times churches can be way too abstract and 10,000 miles high. They're like, can we actually think collectively together? What can we do that would be helpful as we go through this season that can be so hard? Will you pray with me? Jesus, give us the courage to have courage, God, to be proactive and to take ownership of our hearts, God, so that we can follow and not be afraid. God, that come what may, we know whose we are, so we know who we are. And that's enough, God. Help us to be thermostats in a world that insists on living as a thermometer. We're better than that because you are better than it all. And in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Gratulations coming up, that's for sure. I frankly, my mouth dropped. I was stunned that Matt's considering getting a dog. Um, I love what you said though, Matt. I love the idea of being rooted. We talked about, we just got finished with a series on our values and started with the, um, the foundational belief that we are rooted in Jesus. And everything else flows out of that. We are people who are rooted. We follow a God who says, my peace I leave you. And the only way we can know that peace in those moments of struggle and hardship is being rooted. It's rooted here with God and it's rooted here with one another. And, and part of the way we're rooted is in the practices, the practices that we share together. And every Sunday night we come together around the communion table. We come together and we break bread and we remember Jesus. The night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his disciples and he broke bread. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took a cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. It's a cup for everybody. And when you drink from this cup, Remember me. And friends, when we do that, when we take the bread and we dip it into the cup, we remember our roots, that they're in this God that promises, promises us peace and hope and something bigger than all this. So take your bread out of the top of your cups and then you can open your cup and please hear these words with that wafer, the body of Christ broken for you. <clears throat> and as you drink from that cup, hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Please stand and together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Take a seat for a moment before we worship.
this Sunday is the Sunday of the year that we call All Saints. And it's a time of the year in the church that we pause and we take time to remember those that we love and those that we've lost in this past year. And I know for many of you, you'll be thinking far beyond this past year and those in your life. An aunt or an uncle, a brother, a sister, parents, grandparents, a dear friend, a child. And the beauty in this evening, I think, is that we remember a God who loves us and weeps with us and that we can stand together and we can walk through the pain and the suffering and the grief and the loss and at the same time we can hold hope that Jesus has overcome that there is something bigger than this that death is not the end and so that's what we do in this time we'll remember those that have died this year those friends and family members and we'll pause and we'll take it in and we'll hold each other and we'll hold hope that's a beautiful thing able to pause and remember we'll worship together. I've started watching dog videos. Yeah, I'm already talking about it, aren't I? I? Had I not thought about this prior to coming up right now to show you the video that I came across, but I was thinking as I was listening to that song, there was this one video that was talking about rescue dogs, like our baby girl Sabrina, who came from um, Alabama. And this one dog in particular had been abused, traumatized, would not eat her food. They tried everything. They're like bringing, like trying every kind of food and delivering it in every kind of way until they had one of the vets climb into the kennel and sit next to the dog and eat food next to the dog. And suddenly that was enough of a hand of peace, enough of a green light that the dog started to eat. And I saw the after photo and the dog was like fully healed and healthy once again. And it's just this beautiful vision of what God does for us. How in the midst of our struggles, God is with us. And if we understand that, our prayers change in the midst of our struggles from God get us out of here to God carry us through here. And those are two very different petitions to bring before the one who provides you with peace. Will you close your eyes and hold out your hands and receive these words? Friends, no matter who you are, what you've done, who, you've, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed, know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Go in peace. We'll see you next Sunday at 6. We'll see you next Sunday at 6.